0: To Acts, the book of Acts and Chapter One. <coughs> book of Acts, chapter one, and let's begin reading just from verse one. It says the former treaties have I made O Theophilus of all ages both and both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he the Holy Ghost had given commandments under the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed for a life his passion by many infallible proofs, being sevenfold days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity once again to come and to look into your word. Lord, I pray that this morning, as we continue our study in the book of Acts, that Lord, you would empower me through the Holy Spirit this morning, that you give me wisdom and guidance. Lord, you would uh, use me to your glory. Lord, that everything this morning would be from you, your words and your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would give us understanding of your word, and you would teach us and instruct through it. Be blessed bless now as we consider where we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we started the books. So I'm going to turn it to go. It was back in February. We did start the books, and um, we started off in our first message by just looking at the background to uh, the book. We said that the book of Acts is, you know, it fills in the gap for us. You know, into the Gospels and then you have the epistles. If you take away the book of Acts, we have a massive hole. We don't really understand how the, the Gospel made its way to Rome, or how it made its way to any of these other churches. And so the book of Acts fills in that gap. It bridges the gap for us between the, the Gospels and the Epistles. It gives us a clear understanding of the beginnings of the church and then the spread of the Gospel at the hands of missionaries such as Paul. And chapter 1, we saw last time, begins by overlapping a little with the end of the gospel. Luke, of course, is the writer of both these books. And so chapter 1 here overlaps a little with the end of his uh, gospel. You see, Christ, after his resurrection, remained on earth for 40 days. And during those 40 days, he ministered to his disciples. He ministered to them. He taught them things that they would need once he left them. And so these 40 days were of great importance for the disciples and of great importance indeed to the church, the beginning of the church here. And the Lord had some important lessons that he wanted them to learn. Before they went forth with the gospel, he had some important things they needed to know, they needed to understand before they continued their ministry. And we began looking at these important lessons last, all the first Of these important lessons, and that was that Christ made sure that his disciples understood the reality of the resurrection. Just look in verse three. It says also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for days. So the first thing we saw was that Christ took great lengths to make sure his disciples, the apostles, understood that he was alive, that they understood the reality of. His resurrection, it says that he gave them many infallible proofs. Okay, He made sure that they knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was indeed alive. We saw that this was important because this is the very foundation of our faith, isn't it? Okay, We serve a risen saviour. That's what sets us apart from other faiths, Okay, other religions. We serve a risen saviour. So it's important to our, uh, the very foundation, sorry, of our faith. It's so all the first important lesson. Uh, the reality of Christ's resurrection. This morning now we want to consider the three, the other three important lessons that Christ had for his disciples recorded in this passage. The second one we see here is that he taught them concerning the importance of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Look in verse three again. It says, also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, and of the things pertaining to to the King of God. Luke tells us here in verse three that not only did the Lord make sure that they understood that Christ was alive, not only did, that, did He make sure that they understood the reality of His resurrection, but Christ also, it says he taught them concerning the kingdom of God. He taught them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And during Christ's years on earth, this was the main focus of His teaching. I mean, that's what it says here in verse three, that. During this time of forty days, he was speaking to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This is the main focus of Christ to his disciples, to the apostles, at this time. You know that tells us that the kingdom of God is in, doesn't it? Okay, if Christ is in this last forty days before he leaves them and he returns to glory, if he's taking the time and and the the you know going to great lengths to teach them concerning the kingdom of God, it tells us that this is important. No, but also for us as church as believers today you know so the question that that immediately comes to mind is what is the kingdom of god what is christ teaching about you know it simply says that he taught them things pertaining to the kingdom of god luke doesn't elaborate for us he doesn't explain for us so the question in our minds is what is the kingdom of christ teaching them about you know there are two terms that appear numerous times throughout the new testament and particularly in the gospels those two terms are the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. There's these two kingdoms mentioned: kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And you know there is a lot of debate as to exactly what each of these refers to. And you know you go and read theology books on it, and it'll do your head in. It'll you know <laughs> make you all confused because there is a lot of debate as to exactly what these two refer to. And that debate is made harder by the fact that in some places they are seemingly interchanged. So in one gospel it will say the kingdom of God, and in another gospel it will say the kingdom of heaven. And so you go, okay, well now what's happening? And so that has led some people to argue that there is no difference, there is no distinction between the two, that they're exactly the same. I believe there is a distinction, and you know, this distinction is important. It's important when it comes to understanding what Christ is teaching his disciples here. So let's sort of try and define these two this morning. The first one, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven seems for the most part, when you read through the Gospels and read through the... The king of heaven for the most part is speaking about God's eternal rule. Okay, As I said, they are used interchangeably. But for the most part, the kingdom of heaven is a reference to God's sovereign eternal rule overall throughout all ages. And so that means that everyone... Is a part of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, saved, none saved. Everyone is in the realm of God's kingdom. Okay, the kingdom of heaven. That's what it is. It's God's eternal, from eternity past to eternity future. And that kingdom will be made manifest on earth during the millennial reign. Okay, in the millennial reign, Christ will come and he will set up his kingdom here on earth and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. And that's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God, on the other hand, is going about a spiritual kingdom. Okay, so the kingdom of heaven is God's tool throughout all ages. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. And this kingdom is made up of all saved throughout all ages. And that's the difference. The of heaven, everybody is in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is made up of all saved throughout all ages. The where they are used interchangeably for the most part, but this is what these two are referring to. Um, let's just go to John chapter 3 because I think John 3 is a clear we can see this idea that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom on chapter 3 and let's just read from verse 1 there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus ruler of the Jews and the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him rabbi we know that thou art a teacher come from God we can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him Jesus answered and said unto him verily verily I say unto thee Except he be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and now hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell what cometh. And we is every one that is born of the Spirits. Nicodemus sings said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Art thou Master of Israel, and knowest not these things. Verily, verily I say unto thee, We speak that we know that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man that ascendeth up to heaven uh, but and no man hath ascended up the heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I'm sure you know this passage. Well, this is the passage where Nicodemus comes to the Lord, and Nicodemus is asking, you know, the Lord great questions. This tells him plainly and simply that to enter into the kingdom of God, he needs to be what born again. Why? Because it's a spiritual kingdom. To enter into the kingdom of God, Nicodemus needed to be born. And it's true for ages. I mean, that's why Christ says to him, are you a man Israel? And you know not these things? You see, the Old Testament Jews were saved in the same way. They'd be saved by faith. And when they got saved by faith, they entered the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. made up of all saved throughout all ages. And it's entered into by faith. And I think John 3 makes that clear to us and so this kingdom that christ is teaching his disciples here about in acts chapter one this is the kingdom that he's he's speaking about things pertaining to you know and the question might be why is christ doing this why is christ speaking about the kingdom of god you know well, when you consider the fact that the disciples are jews it becomes clear He said, the disciples are jews and so what were they looking for they were looking for the kingdom of heaven they were looking for the kingdom of heaven to come to earth in the form of the millennial reign. That's what they longed for. They longed for God to set up his kingdom here on earth. Now the whole time following Christ on earth, that's what they kept looking for. That's what they wanted Christ to do. You know, They wanted Christ to overthrow the Romans. They wanted Christ to usher in his kingdom. They longed for the day when Jesus, the Messiah, would rule on earth. That's what they were looking for. That was their focus. That was their concern. Now this is clearly seen by response in verse six. Look in verse six of Acts chapter one. It says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now here we see clearly the fact that this was their focus. This is what's in the forefront of the disciples' thinking. Now even after all that Christ has taught them, they're still struggling that the focus is not the kingdom, okay, the millennial the focus is the kingdom of God. That's where their focus needed to be. You see, their focus was not to be on bringing the kingdom here on earth, but rather the kingdom of God, bringing, saying, bringing men to Christ, bringing men to the Lord. Christ here wants them to shift their focus. That's why he's teaching them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He's trying to get them to stop focusing on heaven, focus on the kingdom of God. He's shifting their focus. And in verse 7, Christ gently risks them for their question. says in verse 7, and he says, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Now Christ here gently rebukes them and he says, it's not for you to know when God will set up his kingdom on earth. Your concern, that's what Christ is saying here to his disciples. You see, their concern instead was to be the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom. This is where their labor was to be here on earth, bringing men to know Christ. You see, they would go from here and do what? Spread the gospel unto all nations. They were to spread the message of Christ, and the church was to grow under their ministry. The kingdom of God—that's what their focus was to be. They were to take the gospel and show others that they must be born again. You know, this is why Christ the time here to teach them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He wants them to shift their focus, and realize that this is now where their ministry lay this is where their focus is to be you know even today there's true of us as believers you know we have been left here on earth as, believers, as the church body we've been left here why to further his kingdom as in the kingdom of god we are to bring men to christ show others that they too can enter the kingdom of god how by being born again and so that's why we're here that's our focus our focus is not to bring the kingdom in, as some people believe. That's not what we're doing. We're not looking forward to the rain. Yeah, that's a great time, but for us. We're gonna be in heaven, then come back down and rule and reign. That's for the Jews, isn't it? Okay? And so that's not our focus here on earth. Our focus is the kingdom of God. Our focus is bringing men to Christ. And that's what Christ is pointing out here to his disciples, and indeed to us before he leaves this earth. That this is our, this is what we're here to do thirdly now the third thing he teaches them is the power of the holy spirit he teaches them concerning the power of the holy spirit look in verse 4 it says and being assembled together with them commanded them that they should not depart jerusalem but wait for the promise of the father which saith he ye have heard of me for john truly baptized and ye shall be baptized with the holy ghost not many days hence drop down to verse 8 it says but ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come of you. And you shall be witnesses unto, unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Seeing that Christ taught his disciples the reality of the resurrection. He taught them concerning the, the importance of the kingdom of God. Now thirdly, he tells them of the power of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. For Here we read, that Christ commands his disciples to remain at Jerusalem until the promise of the Father is filled. And the end of the verse there tells us that this is a promise they heard from Christ Himself. Just read verse 4 again. This says, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he ye have heard of me. And so they're to wait for the promise of the Father which they heard from as Christ. Christ had. Given them this promise. What's the promise referring to? Referring to the Holy Spirit. Referring to the coming of the Comforter. Just go back to chapter 14. John 14 and look in verse 16. I'm in Luke. Give me a second. John 14, verse 16. It says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. You Now, here we have in 14 this promise from Christ to them, the promise of the comforter. And we could go to chapter 15 of John and see the same thing. Chapter 16, we go the point is, Christ, during ministry, his made it clear to his followers that the day was coming when he was going to leave them and he was going to send the Spirit in this place, the up in his place. Verse 5 is in Acts chapter 1. Yes. Verse 5 it tells us that John also prophesied of this day. It says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. This day was going to be a fulfillment of. Of John the Baptist as well. Not just the, the words of Christ, but also the word of the prophet John. You know, John, of course, had come baptizing people with the water unto repentance. But as he did that, he declared to them that the day was coming when Christ would baptize their Holy Spirit. The day was coming when they would receive the Holy Ghost. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, and just read verse 11 with me. It says, I indeed baptize you with water, Unto He that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Uh, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John had prophesied of this day. John had said that the one was coming, who baptized them with the Holy Ghost. And so this day was fast approaching. The day when John's words and Christ's promise would be fulfilled was fast approaching. And so Christ stay at Jerusalem until these words are fulfilled. And in verse 8, Christ tells them the reason and the purpose for the Holy Spirit. You see, in verse 8 we read, But ye shall receive power after that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. Christ explains to them here now the purpose of the coming of the Spirit's. You see, the Spirit was coming, why? To give them power. To give them power to accomplish His will here on earth. Christ was going to leave the world. He was, going leave he was going to return to glory. His disciples to further His kingdom, further the kingdom of God. But He wasn't leaving them alone. He wanted them to do it in their own strength. He was going to send the Comforter, send the Holy Spirit to enable them, to empower them to accomplish Him. Just turn back to Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Matthew in 8 verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven, and earth. go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am all even unto the end of the world. Amen. You know, Christ here gives to his fathers the great commission. You know, these are his final words before he leaves turns to glory. His final command was to go and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Ghost. So his command was to take the gospel, to spread the message of the kingdom of God. You know, the wonderful thing is that Christ didn't expect them to fulfill this great command on their own. He didn't give them these words and then expect to do it in their own power, in their own ability, their own strength. But rather, I see here in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, he was going to give them the spirits to empower them. It says, he shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost come upon you. See, the Holy Spirit was going to be the one to them to accomplish this commission. Now, it was in the power of the Spirit, the disciples, that the apostles said, the message of the gospel unto all nations. I mean, it spread rapidly under their ministry the church grew rapidly under their ministry why because they were great preachers because they were great teachers in of themselves no, because of the power of the spirits the holy spirit gave them the abilities needed the abilities necessary to accomplish the lord's work you now the end of verse 8 it says You witnesses under me both in jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth you now the interesting thing about those words is it's a statement of fact It doesn't say ye might be, it says ye shall be witnesses. It's a statement of facts. And indeed, as you and I read the rest of the book of Acts, we see that they were indeed witnesses to all these places the power of the Spirit. Christ's words are fulfilled perfectly. You know, really what we have here in verse eight, we have an outline for the book of Acts. And the gospel. You see, chapters one through seven are all about Jerusalem. Well, primarily about Jerusalem. Chapters 8 and 9, Judea and Samaria. And then chapters 10 through eight is the Gentiles and the outermost part of the earth. see, this verse gives to us in a nutshell the outline of the whole book. The outline of the spread of the gospel under the power of the spirits. And the point is that the disciples could never have accomplished any of this without the spirits. It was only through the spirit that they could be so effective in their witness for Christ. You know, even today, you and I have been commanded to be witnesses. You know, the Great Commission still applies to us, doesn't it? To be witnesses at home and then abroad. To spread the message of the gospel. And the wonderful, glorious truth is that like the disciples, we're not expected to do it in our own strength. We're not expected to do it alone. At salvation, each and every one of us are enjoyed by the Holy Spirit. He comes to live within. And he comes to empower us to accomplish the lord's will now instead of saying we can't or giving excuses instead you and i need to look to him for the power look to him for the strength to accomplish his will you know the wonderful reality is that god will never ask us as a church he will never ask us as individuals to do something that he won't empower us to do you know the disciples he gave them this great commission a daunting task but he empowered them to do it the same is true with us if he calls us to do, he will enable us through the power of the Spirit to fulfill his will. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20, it says, Faithful is he that with you who also will do it. He doesn't call us and then leave us, he calls us and then empowers us to do it. Lastly, now we see that he taught them also of the assurance of his return. The assurance of his return. Look in verse 9. And so he had spoken these things. While they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, and stood by him. Which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And finally now this morning we see The heroes for us, the ascension of Christ into heaven. You know, the ascension of our Lord was an important part of his ministry. Now, Christ's ministry is not over now that he's ascended back to glory. It was an important thing that he did. Now, John chapter 16, verse 7, makes it clear that he had to leave before the Spirit could come. Just turn over there to John chapter 16. John 16 and verse 7. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth: it is expedient for you that I go, away. for if I do not, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send Him. Unto you, Christ, says it was expedient for Him to go back to glory, expedient for Him to ascend back to be at the right hand. of the Why? Because then the Holy Spirit could come. He had to ascend so the Spirit might descend and indwell and empower us as believers. Not only that, but we're told in the Word. Right now, Christ is acting as our great high priest. Tonight chapter four. <clears throat> Here is four verse fourteen. It says, Seeing then we have seen then that we have a great high priest that is past the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us fast action. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points like as I yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, Hebrews make it clear that Christ is our great high priest, and that He is passed in to perform this role for us. It's because Christ is our great high priest that you and I can come boldly under the throne of grace. Boldly and know that we will obtain mercy and grace in a time of need. It's because of Christ. And likewise, First John tells us that Christ is our advocate before the Father. Just turn over there quickly. First John chapter 1. First John 1 verse 9. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him alive. And His word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not... And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, John tells us that he is our advocate. He's pleading our cause before the Father. And when we sin, we come and confess our sin, and not, he will forgive. The point is, it was necessary for this earth. It was necessary for him to return to heaven. And even now, he is performing these roles in glory. You know, with his ascension, Christ he had one final lesson for his disciples, one final lesson for the church, and that is that he will return. Look in verse ten. It says, "And while they looked steadfastly, this is Acts chapter one. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two stood by them in white apparel." Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven." Now, verses ten and eleven here, we're told the disciples. You know, they're gazing up in the glory. You know, we don't blame the new; they've just witnessed Christ descend in the clouds, and they're gazing after him. They're looking for him to come back down again. And as they're gazing in the glory. There's two men in white apparel who ask them, Why are they gazing in the glory? Why are you gazing into heaven? You know, these two men obviously are angels. Angels sent by the Lord to deliver a wonderful, wonderful truth unto his disciples. You know, their message was simple This same Jesus shall so come in like manner. What a wonderful, glorious message. Lesson to leave his disciples with. This is the, the parting thing that Christ gives to his disciples. This same Jesus shall come again. You see, he would return just as he had seen them, just as they had seen him go. And instead of standing and gazing into glory, the disciples now needed to get busy further in the kingdom of God, telling men they needed to be born again. They needed to get busy, getting ready for the Lord's return. What a wonderful, glorious truth to leave the disciples with, the promise of his return. And beloved, there is a day coming when Christ will come again. Christ is coming again. He shall leave heaven's glory and he shall come and snatch his bride away. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, we know it well. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shouts, with a voice of the angel, with the trump of God, and dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain should be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Glorious, wonderful truth. What a wonderful day that will be. And Christ again. And this is the assurance that He leaves his disciples with. That he leaves us as the church with. That Christ is coming again. Yes, he's returned to heaven and he has a role that he's performing right now. But he is coming again and until that day... You and I have to be full in the role that He has given us here on earth. Just turn to Luke chapter 12 as we finish. Luke 12. Luke 12, and let's just read from verse 31. It says, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not, if approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. If your treasure is there; will your heart be also? Let your loins be girded about and your lights be. And ye yourselves, and the men, wait for their lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily, I say unto you, that he shall gird himself, and make them to sit down to meat, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the first watch, and find them so, blessed are the servants. but this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the son man cometh at an hour when ye think not. You know, Luke just shows for us how we need to be ready. You know, the kingdom of God is what we are seeking. laying up treasure in heaven, the spiritual kingdom, the living form. We need to be ready for that day of return. No man knows the day. No man knows the hour when Christ will come. We simply need to be serving and watching, laboring faithfully in the spirit until he comes. You know, Christ, before he left, taught his disciples four important lessons. In those final days that he was with them, he taught them the reality of his resurrection the importance of the kingdom of God, the power of the spirits, and finally, the assurance of his return. You know, these same truths are utmost importance to us as believers today. You know, we have a resurrected, ascended Lord. We serve a risen Savior. And he has left us here for a purpose. That purpose is to further the kingdom of God, to bend to Christ. But, beloved, we have not been here alone. To do it in our own strength, but rather we've been given the power of the spirits. And we ought to do it faithfully until he comes again. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for Acts chapter 1 and these final lessons Christ had for his disciples, these final lessons Christ had for the church. Lord. I pray that indeed we would rejoice in the fact that we serve a risen Savior. And Lord, you are under these. He's at the right hand of the Father and he's ministering there even for us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you've given us a job here to do on earth. You haven't left us alone. You've given us the power of the Spirit, Lord. And I pray that you would enable us and strengthen us to be faithful until he comes again. And Lord, we pray that you bless now as we close. Bless our fellowship, we pray in Jesus'